we don't understand what we believe and why we believe it. And so those are the two questions I want us to look at over the next couple of weeks. What do you believe? Why do you believe it? Is it because every week you sit here and this guy up here in a suit tells you it's true? That's why you believe it? Heaven forbid that's why you believe it. What if the guy up here in the suit is, is wrong? What if he's telling you some lies? You see, I don't want you to take what I say as truth anytime I stand up here and preach. I don't want you to take it as, that's the gospel because my pastor said it. No, that makes shallow Christians. That, that makes robots. We don't want robots, okay? We don't want blind uh, followers. We want informed followers. We want you to know that when the pastor stands up here and preaches something that is true, it's true because God's Word says it's true. And you've searched it out so that it's become your faith. Not your parents' faith, because, well, this is the way I, I grew up in the Bible Belt. And so I guess if I grew up in the Bible Belt, you know, I'm, I'm Christian. I was born in a Christian family, therefore I'm Christian. No, that doesn't make you a Christian. Absolutely not. You need a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. You need to understand God's Word to be true because you've, you've searched it out. Not because someone's told you it's true. I've heard it said that if someone can talk you into something, someone else can talk you out of it. And that's exactly what happens oftentimes when young people go off to secular colleges and they get in a a classroom with a Ph.D. and all these other letters in front of their name and after their name. And, And they start telling you all these things that you've never heard before about Christianity. And then they give you these other smart guys that have done all this research and you have to do the reading, and you have to do the studying because you're going to have a test on it that does count as a grade. And so the more you begin to look into that information, the more your faith is shaken, and you aren't ready for an answer to defend what you've been taught all your life. Research has shown that the average young person believes their high school teacher knows more than their parents. And the same research shows that when they go off to college, even more so, their professor is more informed than any other influence they've had in their life prior to that, parent or high school teacher. We need to be equipped. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. Because I can tell you this, when when you begin to discover this truth for yourself and, and these truths begin to illuminate your heart and mind and you begin to grow in your faith and understanding of the things of God, you take on passion. It becomes real. It's vibrant. And you want to tell people. You want to communicate these things. Because it's real. And so hopefully that's what we're going to do. 
uh, over the next couple of weeks and as well at that Bible conference. Some of the things we're going to be looking at during the Bible conferences is why is the Bible God's Word? And now, I'm curious. Maybe I need to come out here for a second. I'm just going to pick somebody at random. And I'm going to ask you this question. Stand up and give a defense on why the Scripture is God's Word. And why the Quran is not God's Word. Why is your way better, right, than the Buddhist's? Or the Islamic. The Hindu. Oh, you Christians are so arrogant. You think your way is the only way. How pious to say that this Hindu, whose little kid who grew up and that's all they ever knew, that they're wrong. Shame on you Christians. That's the kind of stuff the world's going to say to you. How do you answer that? Are you ready to answer that? What if I called you out this morning and asked you to stand and said, tell me why the resurrection of Jesus Christ really happened? Because a book said it did. Well, Joseph Smith wrote a book too, and he said a lot of stuff that make it true. Do you see what I'm saying, church? We, we, we've got to rediscover our own faith. And it's not going to be without effort. And these are some of the things that, that I want us to look at. I'm not going to put you on the spot. I know some of you are going, man, I was, I was sweating. I just knew he was going to pick on me. <laughs> Stay tuned. I might get to you. I don't know. <laughs> just... Okay. Well, let's start with, um, first off, uh, Let's, let's look at what apologetics is not. What apologetics is not. By the way, if you want more in-depth information, more than I can go into in 20, 25, 30, 45 minutes. <laughs> you like the way I did that, huh? Um, you can go to CARM. It's Christian Apologetics Research Ministry. And uh, you can see a lot of this information. Some of the stats that I've proved, uh, that I've pulled out uh, come from that website. Feel free to check it out. I don't agree with necessarily everything that CARM has put out. But for the most part, uh, it is a good site. Um, check this out. What apologetics is not, uh, it's not the art of getting really good at saying, I'm sorry. Apologetics is not getting really good at saying, I'm sorry. Okay? Over and over and over. That's not what apologetics is. So if that's what you thought apologetics was, you're wrong. Um, it's not the art of intellectually forcing unbelievers into submission holds MMA style, okay? That's not why we learn apologetics so you can drop kick your atheist friend with some theological truth, okay? You, and listen, you'd be surprised. I will never forget. There was a teen girl who had visited our youth group. And she had been there two visits. After two visits, she says, I want you to come to my house. I want you to meet my mom, and I want to ask you some questions. And so, okay, great. So uh, me and my wife go over there, and I thought, you know, hmm, sounded like she had a lot of questions. Maybe I better grab a trusty Josh McDowell Answers to Tough Questions book. <laughs> Praise the Lord, I did. This girl began to fire one question after another. Topics all over. She noticed that I would 
look in this book and, and share and to go to the scriptures as well. And, and, and she said, can I borrow that book? I said, absolutely. So she took the book within the week. I think it was like within. She comes back. Thank you. I've already finished the book. I hope it's all right. I highlighted and tabbed it. She gave me the book and it had tabs all through it and highlighted. I was like, wow, it's amazing. This girl just, you know, sucked it in. Well, I found out later, though, she did that to win arguments at school. And she started Bible thumping people with the answers, winning arguments, bringing them into submission, MMA style, so that uh, she could be victorious in her arguing. That is not why we learn apologetics. Okay? Now, we, uh, of course, sat down with her after that and tried to explain this truth lovingly, but that's not why we want answers. Um, and by the way, the lifestyle that she was living was completely contradiction, contradicting to everything she was arguing. So her arguments were void anyway by her lifestyle. We'll get into that in just a moment as well. So it's also uh, not arguing about how many angels can stand on a pen. Okay? Sometimes people think of apologetics, they think of all these, you know, intellectual guys just sitting around a room, you know, and I wonder, you know, if God made a big rock, too big that he couldn't, you know, that's not what it's about either, okay? Um, and, and it's not shaving your head and looking cool, okay? If those are any of your thoughts on what apologetics is, uh, wrong. That's not apologetics. Uh, what apologetics should be, what apologetics is um, should be the following. L- listen to this. Definition of apologetics. Apologetics is the branch of Christian theology which attempts to give a rational defense of the Christian faith. Did you hear that? Apologetics is the branch of Christian theology that attempts to give a rational defense of the Christian faith. Apologetics is giving a reason for why you believe what you believe. That's apologetics. Um, the English word apologetics is, it comes from the Greek word apologia, which means to give a reason or a defense. Turn to 1 Peter in your Bibles. 1 Peter 3.15. This is where we get the word from. This is where the idea comes from when we speak about apologetics. 1 Peter 3.15 But sanctify. And look, this is, we, we want to fast forward to the defense aspect, but it starts right there. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense. There's the word, apologia. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. And notice what follows. The beginning and the latter part of that verse. We always want to camp out there in the middle, but you better not miss the first or the end. It says, Always be ready to give a defense to those who ask you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. 
So that's the idea. That's what apologetics, in essence, uh, is about. Another way of looking at apologetics, a definition, apologists, uh, or apologetics, uh, is also called pre-evangelism. Why would it be considered pre-evangelism? Well, let me explain. Let's say you encounter a Mormon. All right? You look out the window one, one day, one Saturday, and you notice these guys are up and down the street popping willies, seeing who could ride the furthest. Uh, and they, they actually come up to your door and straighten up their little tie and their white shirt. And, and uh, bing, bing, you know, they, they're, they're ready to introduce you to the Mormon faith. Are you equipped? Are you ready? And I can guarantee, by the show of hand, how many people have had that happen? You've had a Mormon show up at your house? Okay. Or Jehovah's Witness, raise your hand. Okay, yeah. We all know what that's like, right? Now, they spend week in, week out preparing for that fight. And that's the way they look at it. They're coming in. And they know exactly what you're going to say before you say it. In fact, they have rehearsed it. When they get together, they do this. Okay, you play the, you play the Protestant Christian or the Catholic, and, and I'll play the Mormon. And then they'll do role reversal. And they'll go through so that they know what you're going to say. And they've got a script ready to come back with an answer. Most of the growth that happens in the cults is due to either non-believers that quote-unquote, said they were Christians or very immature Christians that did not know how to give a defense, did not know how to give a reason to answer biblically why they believe what they believe. And so these nice folks ask if they can come back and have another discussion. And before you know it, what they're saying actually kind of makes sense. I've never seen that. Because like Satan does, he twists the truth. We need to be ready. One of the things that we're going to look at in this apologetics conference is world religions. And maybe you want to know more about how to answer. What is the difference? Why is Christianity right and that's wrong? That's one of the topics of our Bible conference. So maybe you want to know more about that. I hope to at some point in the future do a study on how to witness to Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Catholics, whoever it may be. Because again, this is the final authority. This. God has made it clear. But I'm afraid we're not understanding it like we should. Um... An apologist is someone who defends the Christian faith. You say, well, wait a minute. I I don't know that that's my responsibility. I need to defend the Christian faith. Well, what did Jude say? Jude says to earnestly contend for the faith. I got news for you, Christian. Like it or not, you are in a spiritual battle. You You can say that, oh, I'd rather just play the prim and proper and respect other people's view. Guess what? That's not what the Scripture says you're to do. We're not being faithful followers of Jesus Christ if we're not equipped 
if we're not armed for the battle. But again, remember how to engage and why we're engaging. Not to win an argument. Not to beat someone into submission. But to genuinely share the truth in love and meekness. Let's look at this example. Turn in your Bibles, and this is going to be our central text today, in Timothy. Turn to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, we've already talked about how, what apologetics is, it's it's always being ready to give a defense, 1 Peter 3.15. Jesus said in Matthew twenty two thirty seven, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your what? Mind and strength. Jesus puts that word mind in there. If you look in the Deuteronomy passage, it's not there. You see, you want to worship God. You want to live for God. God expects you to use your mind in worship. Apologetics, there's nothing wrong with with understanding the truths of God intellectually. But here's the problem. It can't stop there. We don't need a bunch of head-heavy Christians. That, That knowledge, that information only becomes understanding when it becomes a part of you, when it makes it to the heart. Do you understand what I'm saying here? We don't, we got a bunch of intellectual Christians that don't know Christ. They got a bunch of head knowledge. And they can win some arguments. But that's not what I'm talking about. Apologetics to, that, that goes from the head to the heart that transforms our life so that that understanding now becomes passion. And I want to reach that Mormon because I know they're in a cult. And I know unless somebody reasons with them from the truth of Scripture, they will spend an eternity in hell. My family member, my co-worker, to be able to really give a reason for the hope that's within me. 2 Timothy 2 verse 14 and following. Let's look at the text. Remind them. Paul is writing to Timothy here. He's instructing young Timothy. And he says, Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord, not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are, are this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, they're not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, 
If anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance as that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Do you hear the heart of Paul to Timothy? When I read that, I'm thinking, man, this is apologetics. That's apologetics. Paul talks, and we'll get into some of this maybe next week on the wine, but Paul talks about uh, that he is, he is to give a defense for the gospel. And when I read this passage, it just leaps off the page. i got three points. I'm going to move through them quickly. One is called, the first one is, know the truth. Verses 14 through 18. That's what I, it communicates. Know the truth. Christian, do you know the truth this morning? I mean, do you really know the truth? Pilate asked Jesus, what's truth? What's truth? We live in a postmodern world. People are being so ingrained on their soul now that truth? Your truth's your truth. My truth's my truth. Really is no such thing as truth. You know, absolutes. Mm Mm-mm. But there are absolutes. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. If you don't believe there's truth, then you've called Jesus a liar. Who's Jesus? He's the truth. So you got to know truth. Um... Subpoint, if you're taking notes, foundational teachings. Foundational teachings. One of the things apologetics seeks to do, and this is one of the things you'll get in one of the workshops. Barry McKenzie will be the one teaching the workshop on the Bible, why we know the Bible's God's Word. So if this is a subject, you may want to remember that name that you're, if you're interested in that subject. Foundational teachings. These are things every Christian should have some working knowledge, some understanding as a believer. Bibliology. Is the Bible authoritative and inspired? Is it? Absolutely. You need to understand bibliology. How about theology? Who's God? Is Allah God? Is Confucius? Is Buddha? Who's God? Theology gives you a proper understanding of who God is. Christology. 
Who's Jesus? Who is Jesus? Is Jesus just a good man? Was he just a, a, a moral teacher? Good guy? You know, and that one always baffles me because that was my intellectual tier that I stepped on. Tier number two after high school was Jesus is a good man. Wait a minute. How can Jesus be a good man if he claimed to be God and he wasn't? That makes him a liar. You've heard uh, C.S. Lewis. You've heard Josh McDowell. Either Jesus is a liar or he's a lunatic because normal people don't go around saying they're God. Try that one, you know, at high school, uh, you know, or your workplace. I'm God. Yeah. Cuckoo. Lunatic. So Jesus is either a liar or he's a lunatic. Or what he spoke was authoritative. And he is who he claimed to be. And that makes him Lord. Lord of our life. Lord of creation. You need to investigate that. Because there's a lot of ramifications if he's that last one. If he is Lord, and he is, what does that mean for my life? So, those are some things. Christology. Who's Jesus? How about this one? Um, Anthropology. What is the nature of man? Now, I'm not talking anthropology that you might get in a secular university because they're going to blame it all on their environment. (laughs) No. um, It's not your environment. It's your nature. So you need to understand the nature of man. God says in His Word that man inherently is evil. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We're born anti-God. That's why your slant is towards the world. That's why you desire uh, the things you and I, we desire in the, in the old man's sense. If you're a believer, you know what I'm talking about. But from the beginning, we're set on a course for hell. We don't want anything to do with God. We just studied Ephesians. We talked about you're dead in your trespasses and sin. Okay? So we need to understand our nature. Our nature is against God. And it's only by the quickening, the awaking of the Holy Spirit to the truth of God's Word, to the person of Jesus Christ, that we can be made right. We can have the breath of life breathed into us. We can become, as the Bible would say, born again. I can become alive spiritually. And when you, by faith, receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, your spiritual eyes are opened. And now you actually see the world for how it is. You begin to look in the Word of God and it makes sense and you begin to understand it. And and, and your course in life has been redirected. I was headed towards hell, but now I've repented to receive Christ. I'm on a new walk. I'm on a new way of life. The Holy Spirit quickens you. That's why when some of you are sitting here this morning and some of the things this preacher is saying and some of the things that's being brought out from the truth of God's Word is is speaking to your soul. 
There's something within you that says, there's something about this that's true and it's drawing. The Holy Spirit of God is drawing. He's not, look, God says in His Word, He's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And if God is knocking at the heart of your door this morning, let me plead and beg with you. You are here this morning to hear the truth. And if God's Spirit is speaking to you and He is drawing you to surrender, repent of your sin and trust Christ, do it. Because He's desiring to breathe into you new life, to make you alive, spiritually speaking. So, know the truth. Uh, Notice in the passage, He said, remind them, charge them. And he doesn't want you to, to, to strive about words that are of no profit. He says, be diligent. If you're going to know the truth, you're going to have to be diligent. You've got to rightly divide the word of truth so that you're not ashamed. Uh, again, we've talked about this before. This is a carpentry term or a masonry term. Those of you who've worked uh, in carpentry or masonry, you, you understand this, this point of, of rightly dividing, cutting a straight line. This is shooting straight with it. Get it right. And that's what we're supposed to do when it comes to studying the Word of God. He says to shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. He says, look, don't waste your time with useful, useless talk. Isn't that what most of our days are filled with? If you've ever talked to somebody who doesn't know Christ or Christ is not at the forefront of their life, it's useless talk. It's useless Oh, did you see that show last night? Yeah, man, that was really great. I love that. That's my favorite episode. Well, that's going to count a lot for eternity, isn't it? Hey, this weather's great. Yeah, it's great. And I know we all do it. Look. But really stop sometime and think about it. It's really kind of... Hmm? You know. I know they're fillers. But, but have substance in your conversations. Substance only comes when it's around the truth. Know the truth. Um, he, he also says here that, you know, when he's talking about those who, who, who talk about meaningless things or, or, or maybe they pervert the truth as some of the cults that I've mentioned earlier, he gives some examples here in Scripture. Verse 17, he says, Their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort. Man, he called out two troublemakers, didn't he? And their names are forever written in Scripture. Some of you guys would have a meltdown if I stood up here one Sunday and and, and called out some names and said, so-and-so and and -and so-and-so, they are spreading lies, and it is not true, and you need to be informed. (gasps) That was improper. He should not have done that. That was just really wrong. Shame on him. That's just not right. Apostle Paul, he forever read it. He, it's written down. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, look what these guys were doing, though. They were spreading heresy. And it was infecting many people. And that's exactly what happens. If you're not careful, the Bible says men creep in unaware, and they begin to pervert people into doctrines of demons. And you're not going to know this unless you know the truth. The Bible talks about 
some of the women being led astray by seducing spirits. Because, um, you know, people will depart from the faith because, you know, they're not grounded in the truth. Don't think it can't happen. It happens all the time. That's why, church, we need to know the truth. Soteriology is the last one that you need to understand. What is soteriology? How is man saved? Because I can tell you there are a lot of interpretations out there on how man is to be saved. A lot of wrong ways and only one correct way. You need to understand how man is saved. Do you know how man is saved? Can you articulate to someone else what they need to know to be saved? Paul said, if anyone preaches another gospel, let them be accursed. Again, Paul using some pretty harsh words. He could use the course in friendship evangelism. I mean, don't we get bent out of shape, though, when, when, a, when a pastor is maybe hard and straightforward with truth? But I see that all through Scripture. Again, it's not, it is with meekness and gentleness. And it's not being ugly. But when, some, when Paul says, if any man preaches another gospel, let him be accursed. And, and you've got somebody riding up on a bicycle telling you, no, you need, to, you need to believe in Joseph Smith's writings. You need the Mormon church to be saved. That's another gospel. Paul says, let them be accursed. Now, we should lovingly, meekly, gently try and give a reason for the hope that's in us so that, as we'll see, they'll be able to hopefully, perhaps, God will give them repentance. Let me move forward. Point two, live the truth. It's not enough to know the truth. Remember, that's, that can be just head knowledge. You've got to become heart knowledge. You've got to transform the way you are. Live the truth. Uh, pastor Bob Freitas, my former pastor, uh, I was under for almost nine years. He will be doing a session on living the truth. Walking in the Spirit. One of the greatest apologetics is your life. Did you hear what I said? One of the greatest apologetics is your life. You want to give a defense for the hope? Live it. Let your life be... That, that light to, to an unsaved world. Live the truth. Verses um, 19 through 23 tells us this. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone, not just some of them, let everyone who names the name of Christ... Depart from iniquity. If you're here today and you claim to know Jesus Christ, you name the name of Christ, you better take heed to this passage. We need to take heed to this passage because it says everyone who names the name of Christ, let them depart from iniquity. If you're camped out in sin, you're camped out in sin, you're living in sin, and you know it, you know what's wrong, and you're hardening your heart, you're hardening your conscience to what you know is God's truth. You need to depart from that iniquity. 
I know it's t- I, listen. I know it's tough. I know if you're you're trenched in 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 that uh, that sin of choice, you can't do it in your own strength. And you need to humble yourself before a holy and mighty God and cry out for His strength and His forgiveness and His help. And He will take you through it. He will lead you out. He will help you depart from the sins that so easily beset you. Forsake transgression is the sub-point under live the truth. Forsake transgressions. Depart from iniquity, he says. Then he says, be sanctified. What does that mean? It means to be set apart. This is a great thing about God's Word. He doesn't just say, He doesn't just say to you, okay, I'm over here in sin. Alright? He says, depart from sin. Okay, what do I do now? Where do I go? I departed from sin. No, what does he say? He says here in the passage that let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. He gives us this illustration. Notice what he says, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lust. And now notice the direction he gives this church. You don't just flee, you don't just depart from iniquity and lust which that lust can encompass more than just sexual immorality. It can also be pride of life, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness. Guess what? I've left iniquity. Now I am chasing after righteousness, faith, love, peace with those with those who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. You see, that's the great thing about getting together with believers. We're in the same pursuit, church. We're supposed to be. And that's why it's encouraging. I appreciate Mark and Holly getting me into running last year. You can tell I haven't ran in quite some time. But I'm glad they got me into it last year. And Lord willing, I get back into it this year. But you know what? One of the great things is when you're running the race with someone, and Holly actually illustrated this last year with a runner who had to stop and tie her shoe. And, and, and Holly waited, waited on her and helped her, and they finished together. You know, when we're running the race together, sometimes somebody falls. Galatians 6.1 tells us, You who are spiritual, restore Someone who's overtaken in a fault. We help each other. You're going to stumble. I'm going to stumble. But praise the Lord, there's somebody there to help us, right? We help each other. And that's part of that race that we're in. That's part of that race that we run. So, moving quickly. Man, y'all, we're going to have to, I don't know. I'm going to have to, okay. Okay. Alright, so we forsake transgression, we depart from iniquity, be sanctified, set apart so that we're useful. By the way, he gives that illustration of vessels. Some of these vessels, silver and gold, man, this is the stuff when, you know, we're breaking out the good stuff tonight, we got folks coming over, alright? 
And then there were other vessels that were wood and clay. And back in those days, I don't want to get too graphic with it, but let's just say it helped take out the waste in the house. And I'm not just talking to garbage. <laughs> Anyways, so what would happen is, let's say you wanted to take that vessel that you used to haul garbage out in, and you wanted to use it to, you know, maybe serve potato salad next week. <laughs> I know you're going, eh. But what are you going to have to do? Well, you're going to have to clean that thing out really good, aren't you? I mean, we're going to have to sterilize this thing. There's some hot water on this and put a little scrub into it. Well, guess what? As a vessel, when we come to Christ broken, not only does He mend us, He cleans us. Amen? He cleans us. And now we are a vessel for honor. For God's glory. Doesn't matter what I used to be. Praise God what I am. Because of His grace. That's, that's the picture here. Paul is, is, is painting to, to young Timothy. He says, know the truth. Live the truth. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. And the third and final point. Teach the truth. Teach the truth. You want to know why apologetics is important? Why we're having this Bible conference? So that you can know the truth, so you can live the truth, and that you will be able to teach the truth. Notice the passage, 23 through 26. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. Again, this knowledge isn't for you to enter into an argument. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel. But be gentle to all. Notice this phrase here, able to teach. Patient, in humility, correcting, circle that word, correcting those who are in opposition. You see, that's why I engage the Jehovah's Witness, the Mormon the Catholic, the Islamic, the Buddhist, whoever it may be. That's why I engage them. And it needs to be done properly, humbly, patiently, correcting those who are in opposition if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. Isn't that good? I mean, that's the heart of a Christian, not to win the argument. To share truth. To share truth. And that they may come to their senses. I get it. I get it. I'll never forget. Real fast story. College. Going to get my hair cut. Man, haircut is a great time for witnessing. Not a good time for a good haircut because if you take them off, it's two weeks before you're looking good again. But if you want a good witness opportunity, go get your hair cut. Again, with caution. But I used to all, you know, it's a love going, you know, because you're sitting in the chair, they're asking you questions, you can't answer, you can't go nowhere. <laughs> They'll hurry up, though, a lot of times. Um, but I remember, lady cut my hair, Bible college. I was talking to her, witnessing to her. She says, you know, uh, I've been visiting uh, Kingdom Hall, and I've got some questions. Would it be all right if, if, if me and two of my friends came over and, and talked to you? I said, sure. She didn't know at the time I was a Bible college student. 
So I couldn't have her come to my place because me and Allison lived in an apartment on campus. And I knew as soon as they pulled up and saw uh, Piedmont Baptist College, whoa, they just head on back out. So I asked a good friend of mine. Y'all have met uh, Stugelmeyer. Mark Stugelmeyer came and did the WANA training. Him and his wife had an apartment in Winston. Let us come over there. I asked them, I said, would it be okay if I had a couple? Uh, we meet at their house for dinner. Oh, that'd be fine. So there's us four, them three. Always good when you're dealing with uh, the occult that... Um, that you outnumber them. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> Just saying. We had asked the college to be praying and everything. I and mean, it was great. So we're there. We're armed for bear. Um, uh, but anyways, we're, we're there. And, and then we begin the conversation. And I was always taught in training, when you're dealing with someone who's in a cult, always ask your questions directly to the weak one. Find out who is the one that's not so grounded. That's important because there's always, always pair a strong and a weak because the weak's in training. They may not quite be convinced. This girl was not quite convinced she wanted to be in the Jehovah's Witness group. And so all of my questions were directed to her. And again, gently, meekly, not to quarrel, lovingly. And we'd ask these questions. And the guy would always chime in and his wife would chime in. And they started getting angry. And we were staying calm and we were just asking honest questions. And I'll never forget the girl goes, huh, I see what they're saying. And it was like the light went off. I mean, you just talk about your soul starting to bubble. She started to see the truths that were being shared. We were correcting the false teachings with truth. And the light started to go off with the girl. Immediately, the guy knew this was trouble. And he goes, you sneaky snake. That's what he called me. And I was just, you know, I, I just, what? I don't, and he got it. He goes, this conversation is over. We're leaving. And he just had a few other not so nice words, very angrily, very bitterly, told the other two girls, come on, let's go. And the other girl, when she was, she looked at me, she said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, long story short, he ended up getting reported by his wife and they put him out of the kingdom hall because of the way he acted. Now, I wish I could tell you the girl got saved. I hope she eventually got out of the cult. We ended up uh, moving and, and lost contact with the young lady. But I can tell you this. There were a great number of seeds planted and watered. And I really believe it probably wasn't too long uh, that she saw the light. Um, she definitely responded in a positive way. That's what we do. That's why we do it. So... Teach the truth. That last sub-point, in case you're taking notes, foolish troublemakers. You're going to meet them. They're out there. Foolish troublemakers. They're going to try and start biblical ping-pong battles with you. Don't fall prey. Don't get sucked into the Bible ping-pong. Don't lose sight of why you're trying to teach the truth. Don't quarrel. Be gentle. Able to teach. Patient. Humble. Correcting those in opposition. Uh, so praying that God will grant repentance. Know the truth. Come to their senses so that they can escape the snare of the devil. And ultimately, they're his captive and they're doing his will. It's not them, but the evil behind them. I've taken a lot of your time this morning. I appreciate your patience.
In conclusion, what is apologetics? It's an approach from scriptures to give an answer in hope that the light of the gospel will penetrate the blinded hearts and the blinded minds of those who are perishing. I want to read this scripture as a meditation thought as the pianists uh, would please come. And I want you to think about what Paul goes on to say in the same book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you, you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work. My prayer, church, is that we become complete. We mature. We mature so that we can know the truth, live the truth, and teach the truth.